the other thing is, is signs go away. You know, there's, we, we, um, they might be there, but we don't see them anymore. But this moving sign of these safety cones really uh, makes people think about, hey, I've got to be safe around, around the silage pile. And maybe that translates to their other parts of their job too, so. A whole new era of communication in the dairy industry is coming. Now you have the brightest minds of the global dairy industry right in your pocket. And what's best? You can listen to all of them while driving to a farm, traveling, or running errands. It's never been this good, and it's never been this simple. The Dairy Podcast Show is only possible with the support and trust of innovative companies like Exelite by Protecta, a novel product for the management of hypocalcemia. It's uncomplicated excellence. Fibro Animal Health Corporation. Healthy animals, healthy food, healthy world. Ivonic, we are sciencing the global food challenge. DSM, providing innovative feed additives that improve the efficiency and profitability of dairy production. R Yeast 40, ruminal and intestinal double modulation by ICC Animal Nutrition. Welcome to the Dairy Podcast Show, a weekly podcast where you'll find cutting-edge insights and everything that's working in the global dairy industry. DSM strives to bring our customers efficient, profitable dairy solutions. From essential vitamins like HYD and Victus Transition to next-generation products like Biofix, our portfolio is growing as we continue to bring innovation to the dairy industry. Visit dsm.com to learn more about our newest solutions. Welcome to this episode of the Dairy Podcast Show. I'm joined today by Connie Pearson Cooper from Connor AgriScience. Uh, Connie is, I've had the opportunity to, to do a couple events with Connie before, so I'm pretty excited for our conversation today. Uh, Connie comes from uh, Minnesota. She has a bachelor's, degree of, a bachelor's of science degree from the University of Minnesota in ag journalism uh, and a certificate of corporate communications from the University of Southern California. Um, so I always find that Connie is a, is a great communicator when it comes to uh, understanding the science, but also helping producers and industry professionals understand the science as well. Uh, it, my, uh, Connie says that her biggest job is a mom, and that's ongoing, even though her kids are all grown up. She's been an ag communicator and marketing since graduating from the University of Minnesota in 1982. She worked for Worldwide Sires fresh out of college, and after starting a family, she wrote freelance for domestic as well as international dairy trade journals. Currently, she is working on furthering dairy and beef farmers' awareness that effect efficient silage is also money-saving, longer-lasting, of better quality, and safer. She's especially interested in getting this message to dairy beef farmers, as silage doesn't know if it's being fed to beef cows or dairy cows. Uh, the light, money, lifestyle, and life savings benefits are there either way. And Connie, it doesn't uh, doesn't talk about it anywhere in your bio, but you and your husband started your company together. I think you said uh, twenty six years ago. Uh, do you want to do you want to talk to us a little bit about that? A little bit about what your company is and and what you guys work with? Sure, sure. Thanks, Gail. Thanks for having me on the podcast. I really appreciate it, and I always enjoy talking to people about all kinds of different things. So I'm I'm happy to be here. Um, yeah, Connor AgriScience started out, uh, like you said, about 26 years ago, and um, Ron and I have a background in a lot of different things. Um, uh, we make a great team. Um, Ron has been in sales all his life with uh, adver advertising space, getting out of Cal Poly um, to working it with uh, Allflex EarTag, and then uh, we had an import co or a company uh, for a while with some people that were involved in Worldwide Sires. And then um, we've been in business, like you said, 26 years ago, uh, we started Connor. It was Connor Marketing at the time. And, and um, six years ago, we changed it to Connor AgriScience just because it reflected more about what we were trying to, to do with our for our customers. 
Um, my background, like you said, is ag journalism, and I'm a communicator. Um, when I was in college, my dream was to be able to communicate what dairy was to people who, to our consumers. And if I, I always have to chuckle that if, you know, if I had Instagram and Facebook and TikTok and all that kind of stuff back then, um, that that's exactly what I was hoping to do. And um, I had some students with me, uh, Jeannie Barron's Annexted, who uh, also wrote for Dairy uh, for Dairy Today um, for several years. Uh, her and I were classmates, and we talk about that often when we get to see each other. But anyway, so yeah, Connor Agriscience, um, um, we we passed the seven year fail mark for self-started businesses. Um, we do complement each other well. Uh, Ron does what he does very well. I try to do what I do as well as I can. And uh, and that is we take care of our customers first. That's our focus and trying to find new things to bring to them. So, um, uh, you know, silage film, we got into silage uh, with uh, Lalamond and uh, Biotol at the time with Dr. Bob Charlie. And um, really enjoyed working with the science of silage. And um, we had introduced uh, oxygen barrier film to the Western United States and then um, had some uh, uh, conflicts with our manufacturer in that uh, in where it was going to be made. So we decided to go ahead and, and brand our own film. And so Seal Pro is our own company's film. But, you know, aside from the film, our, my real interests lie in um, teaching people about silage safety and and how to be careful. Um, and that's not only making better silage, but also uh, behaving around it like it's uh, it's the uh, it's the scary thing that it can be. Yeah, I, I know I've seen your coloring book and I think a lot of people have seen the coloring book before in the silage face is uh, the monster. Right. And uh, I think we get comfortable around it because we're we're used to it, but uh, that doesn't mean that accidents don't still happen. And um, I think we'll talk about that probably in a little bit. Um, but before we kind of dive into the meat and potatoes, uh, you're from Minnesota, uh, but you're out in California right now. Um, and I'm not sure when people are, are going to be listening to this, but as of right now, you guys are dealing out there with a lot of uh, a lot of flooding. Um and that's impacting your dairy farms out there quite a bit. Can you give us an, an update on what's going on with that? Sure. So um, people, uh, unless you live in this area or you uh, have broader uh, knowledge of this area, don't maybe understand that California's water delivery system is a network of reservoirs in the mountains that uh, and canals that flow through the valley, the uh, the central California and uh, Northern California as well. But um, the, the thing is, is that we've had all this, we've had a drought obviously for many, many years here and our ground is, uh, is pretty tough. It's, it's uh, there is a hard pan of clay underneath it anywhere from, oh, like eight to 20 feet down below the surface of that, of the, of the soil. And um, so we have a problem with that just in the drainage um, situation. Um, and all the rain that we've got obviously saturated all that ground and we have a lot of standing water around. Then the storm that came, the storms that came through that really caused the trouble were warm storms. Um, we had had all this um, snow in the mountains and we rely on that for snow melt into the reservoirs and then the canals on down. But um, we, um, when these warm storms came through, the snow in the mountains started melting. And um, it just becomes a big balancing act of how much water do you keep in the reservoir? How much do you dare to hold, the, put it in the, so that those dams hold because they are all older. Um, California has not built an, any new water storage for several years. Um, and so it just becomes kind of a, 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 a huge challenge to manage exactly how much water needs to be put where. And um, so that's that's the situation we have. There are farms who have had to evacuate cows. Um, and, but but the, the real critical thing is with our feed uh, prices being so high already, 
we have lost a lot of crop ground um, for feeding cattle as well as uh, in our tree fruits and nuts. And so uh, that is really going to be probably the longest lasting challenge for these dairy farmers here in California is the price of the feed and just the availability of it. So a lot of farmers going to be trying to purchase in feeds into California then? What's plan B? Well, yeah, that's that's what um, that's what's going to that's what's going to happen. And and most of these farmers are on the uh, uh, west side of 99, the freeway that runs right up down the middle of the San, San Joaquin Valley. Um, and they're just to the west side of that. Uh, we just drove down to L.A. a couple weekends ago and the water that's running through is just really incredible. We've never seen water like that before. So it's um could be interesting. Yeah, like you said, we're so used to hearing about drought out in California. It's hopefully someday you're able to find a happy medium there. Well, right. Yeah, I think we all prayed to God for rain and he said, okay, here it is. Have it. Maybe a little less next time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, we can't be picky. So here we are. I guess that kind of leads into, you know, winter forage crops. Those are those are progressing right now uh, or or would be. Uh, depending on the the flooding status out there, what's what's going on with your winter forages? What are those looking like right now? Um, are are you able to get any harvested? What's what's the situation looking like right there? Yeah, yeah, the crop looks really good because of the water that we've had, and um, but there again, like you said, the the can we get into the field? That's the problem, and and so I think uh, farmers, we've had a lot of wind the last few days. That's helped dry things out a little bit, but because that water, that ground is so saturated, very you know a very to a very uh, far depth, it's going to be a challenge to get in there and get that together. So uh, we don't have a lot going on right now yet, unless you've got ground that is able to be um, driven on. But uh, once once that ground dries up enough, it's going to be gangbusters to get that. Is grazing going to be an option for any of those forages? Is grazing going to be an option for any of those forages? No, I don't. We're not grazers here. Well, let's move in and, and kind of talk about what I think of when I think of you, which is silage safety. Um, I know we've done a little bit of work together on the extension side uh, with silage safety, and you've, you've already talked about how important that is. Um, you've kind of taken over the, the Keith Bolson Silage Safety Foundation, um, or I don't know if taken over is the right word, but you've been you picked up the mantle and been carrying on a lot of that work. Um and I know I still have some uh, caution tape and some orange safety cones from the last workshop that we did together. So uh, why don't we why don't we move out and kind of talk about that? What are what are some of your top three or I won't limit you to a number. What are some of your top tips that you have for keeping employees safe and their families? Sure. Yes. Well, and I want to I want to clarify, too, that the uh, you know, Keith, um, we learned, Ron and I learned a lot from Keith Bolson, um, not only safety, but how to make and manage uh, drive over piles and bunkers and, and how to, how to uh, make, he, Keith always said, safe silage is efficient silage. And we kind of carry that on. Um, um, and also the, the board of directors of uh, the Bolson Silage Safety Foundation are all very active in trying to promote his uh, messages. And we have some exciting things happening with the Bolson Foundation that we're not quite ready to talk about yet, but we're excited to uh, develop um, programs in his memory. And so, so that's kind of where we're at with that. Um, the top three, t uh, one of my first top tips is the safety cone idea. And like I, I talk about this all the time. Um, I saw this on a large farm in Minnesota. What you do, we, we all know that um, you should stay three times the height of the pile away from the silage pile. So just for example, if you've got a 10 foot high silage pile, which is small compared to most everybody's, but just for round, for numbers. Uh, so if you have a 10 foot high silage pile, you should stay away from it. 30 feet, right? Okay. So, so my idea is, or the idea is, is that you would take your people out to the silage pile. And, and that's another thing who needs to know this just about everybody needs to know this. Everybody who works on the, on the dairy, not just, 
the person who's feeding um, uh, because that person has been taught how to how to be on that face safely and, and to uh, to be careful. Um, but you take them all out to the uh, to the edge of the pile, like on this pile here, it would be oh, the right about there. And you'd figure out, OK, so if say this pile is 10 feet high, so I'm going to walk out with my people 30 feet because that's a safe place to be. It's not going to fall on you, that kind of thing. And we've got a pile of safety cones. So the first person puts that safety cone down at 30 feet. Then they all walk out. It's And it's a very such a simple thing. Everybody walks out and places their safety cone at 30 feet. Before you know it, you've got a line of safety cones and that's the no-go zone. You Nobody goes in there except that feeder. And, um, and so that becomes a visual of, hey, this is a reminder that we're not going to go near that silage pile. Then it's the job of that feeder to move that line of cones every time he or she takes feet off of that face. And, and that's a reminder to that person to be safe around silage. Um, we can put up signs all day long, but some of these uh, piles and bunkers get so long that we've, we put this sign up on the telephone post next to the face. Um, before you know it, the face has moved and nobody sees this, the sign anymore. And the other thing is, is signs go away. You know, there's, we, we, um, they might be there, but we don't see them anymore. But this moving sign of these safety cones really uh, makes people think about, hey, I've got to be safe around, around this silage pile. And maybe that translates to there are other parts of their job too. So that's that's one. Um, another one is um, high visibility clothing, whether it's t-shirts or sweatshirts or my favorite is safety vests, just because they can be left at the farm. They don't have to be taken home and forgotten. Um, but what I suggest is that people uh, take their, their safety vest, issue a couple of them per person who's going to be working out there. And you can do this as families, too. It's not just these big dairies with, you know, 25, 50, 100 employees. It's just on family farms as well. So have everybody write their name in the neck of the safety vest so that they know whose it is. But then you take that Sharpie marker and you write the names of three people who expect you to come home today. And when you put that on, you think of those three people that are expecting you to walk through that door tonight when you get home, and maybe that will help you remember to be a little safer. It's it's all these memory things that we we need to uh, we need to to interrupt the the forgetting curve. So um, there's a German uh, psycho uh, psychoanalyst who had determined that there's a forgetting curve. When we have a silage safety meeting, which is my next tip, is to have silage safety meetings more often. Um, and I suggest have a safety meeting once a week, even if it's for five minutes, 10 minutes. Not, it doesn't have to be any big long production, but have that meeting. And uh, because you're interrupting that for forgetting curve after 55, or no, sorry, after uh, one hour you will forget 55% of what you heard here. Yeah, especially for me, a teacher. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. And that's why exactly. you repeat yep. things in yep. your curriculum. Right, so 55% is lost after an hour. After 24 hours, 66% of it's lost. And after six days, you lose 75% of what you have told somebody. So in a week's time, they're going to forget 75% of what you said. So, um, so that's kind of scary. So, uh, so if you can have these safety meetings more often, and you don't have to talk to us about silage, obviously, every time you talk about uh, milk parlor safety, or, you know, whatever it is that you're that you've got going. And, and you can also um, tailor that to the time of year that you're in um, or, or with what's going on, the season, whatever. Um, but have that safety meeting and commit to it once a week. 
So uh, the coloring book is a great way to the our coloring book is a great way to to talk about these issues um, with your employees and your family. Um, and it, it's a very short, easy to understand. Yeah. Yeah. And easy for little kids too to kind of, because like you said, you get, you get small people running around the dairy and, and there's a lot of, I mean, we grew up in, in maybe not the safest of, of production systems. Right. But, um, I mean, those are obviously precious cargo and you want to make sure that they're, that they're staying safe at all times. Right. You don't, you don't want to be that farm that has to deal with the, um, the PR problem of somebody got hurt or killed on your, on your side, on your farm. And, um, that it takes a lot of time. It takes effort. It takes, uh, capital away from doing positive things. Well, and I think when you put safety as a, as a top priority like that, it really, it communicates to your employees that you care about them. Exactly. So I think it really ties in with a lot of the issues that we see a lot around labor and labor retention and making sure that we, that we're caring for the people that work for us. Um, you're telling them, yeah, is it annoying? Yes. I, sometimes it can be, but it, it's, it's kind of reiterating that, you know, we care about you, we care about your safety and your livelihood. Um, and we want you to make sure that you're getting home to, um, to the people that are important to you. Sure. Right. Right. It, it is, it makes a huge impact. Um, you know, one of the first things that, that, um, we talk about when we go meet with our customers is we ask them how their family is. Because that's, you know, when it all boils down to it, our families and people who are special to us in our lives are the most important things that we uh, need to think about when we're when we're talking about silage safety or any other kind of safety as well. Well, it makes it really easy, too, if you have, especially with the safety vest idea, you know, if you have a branded safety vest or if you all use the same, like, similar look, it makes it really easy to spot, you know, the people who are there, who belong, who work there, and then the people who are visiting or wandered on or whatever else. And I know for me, I love using them um, when we do some of our farm visits for class. I have, I make all of my students wear their safety vests and they roll their eyes at it a little bit, but it's really helpful for me to be able to spot like, okay, I'm looking for so-and-so. I saw, I see that bright yellow safety vest over there. So I know they're okay. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and take that further. Um, when you're the owner of a farm or you're the manager of a dairy farm or or feedlot, and you see somebody, like you said, that does not have a vest on, they do not belong. And so um, they need to be addressed and, and see what they're up to. Uh, so that's, it's safety, uh, high visibility, uh, clothing, and whatever form you want, whatever's easiest for you, um, it, it takes care of a lot of problems. And, you know, the other thing is, is, um, when we're driving around with, uh, sometimes I go to these dairies and you, I just stay in my car because, you know, these uh, unloaders are running around and, and tractors are running around. They're trying to get cows fed and, and you can't expect them to slow down for you. And when they come whipping around a corner um, and they don't see you, there's, they may not see you at all because of the, how their cab is set up on their, on their vehicle. So. Yeah. You're looking out for yourself, but. I like the mirrors too. I love going onto a farm and seeing the mirror set up so you can see around corners. And so that's another, maybe not top three, but that's another safety tip that I really appreciate when I spot that. Yeah, that, no, that's a great idea. Great idea. Yeah. And I think especially, you know, I love like your, your regular meetings and the moving of the silage code things. And I think simple things like that, it doesn't have to necessarily be, it doesn't have to be those, but those exact uh, you know, actions, but, but making sure that it's something that, that provides a reminder every time you do it, because we get so used to, especially cows love consistency, cows love routine, but humans, when we fall into those, you know, routine and consistent patterns, a lot of times it can be easy for us to get complacent. So those little things like that, that can really kind of shake us out of that complacency and remind us like cutting corners, even if it's, you know, saving you a few extra minutes here isn't always isn't always productive in the, in the long run. Right. Right. No, I agree. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think another thing that ties in to silage safety and this, this plays not just with, well, it plays, I guess, into the, the other side of your business with, with the side, the science of silage, you know, a well-packed uh, silage pile is a safe silage pile is a safer silage pile. I should say. 
Um, are there other are there practices that you know they kind of play off in in two ways in the in the silage safety side, but also the the more the higher quality silage? Right. Well, just you know, um, we really like to have our customers uh, start with a harvest plan. I mean, and and you can start thinking about this now. Um, no harvest year is the same, but it's important to start out with looking at what you've got right now out there, what you're feeding, um, what happened, how it went. Um, and this is the result of what you did last year. So first of all, look at what you're, what you've got that you're feeding out. Um, and then um, as you get closer, work with your nutritionist or your veterinarian or whoever it is that you, you consult with on your feeds and, um, and make some goals, set some goals for yourself. Um, you can kind of look ahead to see about when you might be harvesting. Um, get together if you're uh, if you're large enough that you hire somebody to do it for to do your chopping for you or in your packing for you. Um, get together with them. You know, find out what their capabilities are this year, um, what they have to offer you as far as uh, pack tractors and that kind of thing. Um, and then talk about uh, the the three things, you know, the dry matters that we're gonna we're gonna go for, the uh, kernel processing, um, you know, question, hey, are you are you set to go on the kernel processor? You know, and here's what would happen last year. What are we gonna do this year to make this even better? Um, and uh, and your your chop length, you know, make sure that that's all ready, that the knives are ready to go, all that kind of thing. And then. Um, uh, and don't forget to include your covering and, and how are we going to cover this so that we aren't sitting there with a pile or a bunker already made and, and say, well, gee, I think we need to get some silage plastic. Hmm. Um, <laughs> think ahead, think ahead, shop ahead. Um, but, um, you know, we, we recommend, uh, Ron is the guy that does all of our, uh, uh, mathematical, you know, you know, people can call him and ask him, hey, I've, I've got to feed this many cows. I'm feeding this in my ration. And and this is, how, you know, how how big do I need to make my pile? All that. Kind of, he works with people on that kind of thing. Um, how many pack tractors that how many choppers are you going to have? All that kind of stuff that you have to figure out. Um, and, and all this figuring sounds like a lot of work. And people say, oh, you know, I've been making silage for 25 years, 15 years, whatever. I don't need to think about that, all that kind of stuff. But like I said, every year is different. And, and something that we try to stress too is try to keep track of what is happening so that when you get to this time next year, you can look at that pile and say, well, you know, my dry matter was X. Um, and here's where we figured out that we needed to adjust the kernel processor on it about making this pile. And so that we can see, we can document, this is what happened. This is what worked. This is what didn't work. So we always keep trying to get better. We know that silage will never be perfect ever. It won't ever be exactly perfect, but the more we document, the more we think about and plan ahead, the better the chances are for that to happen. And then of course, you know, using barrier film, that's, um, it's been proven time and time again. Use a barrier film that is proven, that has been tested correctly, and that that we know works. Um, and and use tires to cover those piles and keep that face um, protected. And uh, uh, in doing um, that, I mean, uh, on the edge of that sil the silage plastic, like on yeah, you know that there's a line of tires there that is is not allowing air to get underneath that plastic. And so let's make sure that we've got enough tires. We've got the right size and quantity of film to cover. Um, do that all ahead of time so that, I mean, harvest is hectic enough. Um, let's, let's do that ahead of time so that we've, we know what our next step is and it's, we don't have to make decisions in the moment of a, of a, of a heated moment. So um, uh, we also, also talk about inoculants, try to guess what, what your needs are going to be um, because we all know there's different inoculants that do different things for different 
situations. And so uh, have a good relationship with your, your inoculant people too. Um, you know, something else that goes along with the silage safety thing, but also goes along with uh, making silage is to take care of yourself. Um, we don't talk about that enough. Uh, make sure that the people who are working in your harvest are hydrated. Make sure that they are eating well. And I know that there are uh, people who, who live on dairies, wives and husbands, husbands both that are in charge of making sure that everybody's fed. Um, and so make sure you're fed, rest as much as you can and, and try to, and, and the, the nice thing about it is if you've done all this planning ahead of time and you know what you're kind of up against, rest becomes easier because you're not rolling a lot of stuff around in your head wondering. So that's, that's kind of what we try to try to talk about. Well, you know, we're rolling into, well, when we're recording this, I should say, we are, it's the first week of April. Um, when people are listening to this, it may or may not be in spring anymore. But um, so so as we're kind of looking into the harvest season, or sorry, the planting season getting started, what are some things that we should be keeping in mind right now? Um, what are some of the things that, that producers should be working on right now as they're looking at the planting season starting? Well, as planting season going uh, goes, we're, we're looking at... Uh, well, out here in the West, we're looking at uh, figuring out what water deliveries are going to look like, what um, our needs for uh, the fertilizers and the all the different uh, uh, things we're going to have to add to that crop. Um, we're going to be looking, like I said, at, at what we've got on in the pile or bunker now to see where where we're at with uh, the quality and the quantity. Um, we, there's a lot we can do to, uh, to, uh, protect the yield of that, of that corn, um, and, and try to make that as best as we can. I am not an agronomist, um, so I can't tell you a whole lot of, uh, uh, growing tips. Um, I'd refer you to agronomists for that, um, but I think that uh, the the planning for the harvest, keeping that in in mind, is important. And uh, and just being remember this excitement. <laughs> That's one thing is remember this excitement and this positivity of hey, this is exciting. We get to plant corn, and then remember that when you're covering your <laughs> silage at the very end. Because by the time they get to the to our stage of the game where we're covering with film, they're going, oh my gosh, I'm so sick of this. You know, let's just get this over with. But remember this uh, this positive energy that you have going here and uh, enjoy the whole process. Well, that's so important too. We talk about this a lot that silage is, you know, that's the that's the cornerstone of for most of us in the North America. That's the cornerstone of what your rations are going to be built on. And making sure you get that right is going to pay off in huge dividends all year, not just not just during planting and harvest. So um, you don't want to be kicking yourself in the foot or kicking yourself 14 months from now because you didn't you didn't hold yourself to higher expectations. Right, right. And that's really where the planning comes in is if you plan ahead, know what you're doing, know your options. It's never going to be perfect, but do the get as close as you can to what to perfect as you can. So, well, and that's I, I appreciate that you say that. Of course, silage is never going to be perfect. Like there's always going to be something that's just not, uh, you know, a little bit of oxygen got in here or there or whatever it is. But I feel like and I don't know if you feel the same way. I feel like in the past, you know, several years, our tolerance for imperfections has really declined. Um I don't know the last time I've been onto a farm that doesn't have some sort of defacer, for example. Um, and so I feel like our understanding of of best practices and our tolerance for for less than highest quality corn silage has really declined as an industry. Absolutely. I, I the dairy industry is to be congratulated for the the way that it has um taken taken this to seriously and 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 really um has has done what they can with what they have and and they've uh they have invested in uh in the education in the resources in the materials and 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 they are to be congratulated um you know we talked about in, in my bio that we're working with uh beef 
uh, feedlots as well. And um, the beef industry in general has a ways to go. They haven't embraced this um, silage uh, making and managing like the dairy people have. And but they understand that. Uh, and and there are some feedlots that are now doing a really wonderful job because they they look at it and they, you know, uh, uh they always say, well, beef cattle, you know, they feed them anything, but but there's there is uh degradation to that rumen mat that happens when you feed bad silage and um you know a dairy cow will tell you immediately when she's had something that's gone upside down in her rumen. Um, but a beef cattle are out there in the feedlot. They're laying around in the sun. They're, you know, hmm, did they eat? How much did they eat today? Well, I don't know how much they ate. Um, and, and now the feedlot industry also has tools that it can use to track those animals and see where they're at and see how much time they've spent at the bunk or laying down or whatever. And um, and we our, our larger feedlots have really uh, embraced those kinds of technologies. So we look forward to working with them um, just like we have with the dairy farmers to uh, to help them do a better job and, and to show them that the return on the investment of doing all these things is wonderful. It's especially with the prices as high as they are. Um, the inputs are, you know, yes, it's a bill that you pay. However, the the benefits that you get out of taking good care of your silage is uh, they're 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 so much more than than what that bill is. Yeah, I think we have a tendency sometimes to think homegrown forages are free um, and they are absolutely not. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I, I agree. I've seen that that attitude kind of shift in in a lot of dairy producers and also beef producers. I don't want to just pick on beef producers, but I think you're right that they're they're a little bit behind uh, the practicalities of it. Um but you know, I they, those we go to the NCBA meeting every year. We go to the Nebraska Cattlemen meeting. Um, we've been to up in Alberta at a beef meeting up there, and I love those people. They are salt of the earth, and there's you know they'll question you all day long, and good for them. That's what they need to do. Um, and and it's it's so fun to see their the light kind of go on in their brains, and when they say when you when you talk to them for a while, and and they'll think about it for. They'll think about it for a while, but they're 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 coming along. They're going to do just fine, and and I'm very proud of the beef uh, feedlot producers that we work with that have really done a great job. Yeah, well, with with feed prices what they are right now, I don't think uh, producers have a lot of options to be able to cut corners anymore. So, and and you know, I think all of us in the industry of silage are happy to help people. Um, we sometimes we get looked at as that darn film we got to buy to put on, but, but, you know, we've, uh, Ron and I offer a whole lot more than just the film. And we try to teach people uh, how to do a better job with a lot of other things because we, it is a marathon. Harvesting is a marathon and, and we try to help them finish strong. Well, I want to switch gears a little bit here. Um, I know something that you and I uh, kind of talk about every once in a while is, women in the dairy industry and the role that women play. Uh, I'm excited that I get to talk to you today about this because this is fresh in my mind. Um, like I said, we're recording this first week of April. So um, I just got back from the National Dairy Challenge this past weekend and took uh, took a couple of vans full of students and I had two men on the team uh, and the rest. So out of the 16 people that we brought, there were uh, it was a uh, one to eight ratio of men to women. <laughs> um, and we kept getting some comments when we'd stop places that, that, oh, I've heard that there's a lot more women in, uh, in your universities now studying dairy science. And now I can see it. And I also got some questions from my female students on the way back about, um, you know, why hasn't this caught up in industry yet? You look at, you look at industry professionals and there's not as many women, it seems like, in, in some of those industry roles. Um, maybe that'll catch up. Maybe, I hope, uh, because we're producing, I can tell you from firsthand experience, we're uh, training a lot of really top-notch future professionals out of our universities right now who happen to be female. So um, what's been your experience? I, I know you've been in this industry for a while um, as a woman. And uh, what are some of the roles that, that you think women play in particular in, in challenges that we have? 
Well, you know, um, I think that, uh, you know, there used to be a cigarette ad, and I can't remember who it was. It said, we've come a long way, baby. And boy, have we. Um, um, I don't even remember the last time I've seen a cigarette ad. (laughs) I know. (laughs) The Marlboro Man is long gone. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, But yeah, so I know when I was talking about Jeannie uh, and I graduating from the U of M. And uh, back in those days, you know, I went to World Worldwide Sires straight out of college. And um, I was lucky that I went there because it was a company of people who uh, really, you know, all the salesmen were, were, were salesmen. They were all men. Um, but shortly after I had been there, uh, a woman from the, from the PR department, um, Ginny Barker, was promoted to be a saleswoman. And, and so I was lucky to um, have been have to work in that kind of uh, a, a company for a, a lot of reasons besides just that. But, um, but uh, you know, communications when I was in college was a woman's world uh, as far as ag goes. And and I think that um, we've come a long way in, and like you said, there are more and more women who are involved in the science side of things, who are getting practical knowledge as well as they become, uh, they get their masters, they get their PhDs, they do research. They, they're very incredibly intelligent people. And, and I think that that's important that we talk about the, the people who, um, I, to my knowledge, dairy has never um, set aside and said, well, you know, this, these programs are only for women. That's just not been a thing. Um, women have, have, have on their own, in their own right, um, developed their stature of where they're at. Um, you know, there's, uh, it's, it's been, have we met with, um, with some opposition or some prejudice towards, uh, who we are as women? Sure we have, but I think that those of us who have lived through this for a while now, um, realize that we just can't let that get to us and, and that, um, there are plenty of people, men and women both, who just want to do what's right for the dairy industry. And, and those are the women who, uh, who really have, have come a long way. Um, I know that at uh, World Dairy Expo at the, at the Dairy Shrine Dinner, we, they present scholarships. And, you know, there's like your, it was the odds that the, the same kind of odds that you had your, on your dairy challenge team are, are apparent in the winners of those contests, um, of those scholarships, um, women all over the place. And so I think that, uh, the comment by one of your students about when is, when are we going to catch up? I think that we are catching up. I mean, I know a lot of women in industry that, um, have incredible, uh, responsibility and, and and uh, and jobs that are are super jobs and and they they're I I, I don't um, is there a discrimination Sure there is we're all human beings I mean we discriminate against men too as women <laughs> it just happens it happens we here have every biases, yep. at Connor Hager Science it happens you know every once in yeah. a while <laughs> so, but you know um, we just like corn silage have- people aren't perfect either. Exactly, exactly. And, and that's okay. And uh, as long as we recognize that people are people and, and we all have strengths and weaknesses, it doesn't matter what sex we are, or, or what we're, what we're doing. Um, and, and so I think that um, women definitely are a, a strong part of the dairy industry and, and part and I've been talking about the beef world, there are some really strong women in beef world. So, yeah, I, uh, I know that there's, you know, not every company has a, a work culture that's friendly to women. Um, and I, I think about those companies every once in a while, and I think they're going to run out of people to hire here pretty soon because, uh, our animal science departments, and it's not just where I work in Iowa state, it's all over the country. It's a, it's a field that's really drawing women to it for whatever reason. Um, and vet schools, it's even more pronounced, um, the the male to female ratio so 
um, going to have to start working on recruiting more mentor programs pretty soon. It's a little bit, uh, you know, turning things on their heads the way it's it's been historically. So exactly. You know, as as long as we get the best people working for the industry, that's it, that's that's what we that's what we need to do is, is find the best people and doesn't matter what their skin color is, what their, what their gender is, it, whatever it's, it's uh, as long as we keep that focus, we're going to be fine. And honestly, I think a, a lot of, uh, I don't know if I want to call it discrimination or not, but there's another ism I think in, in the animal science world. And that's whether, where you're from, did you grow up on a farm? Did you grow up in the city? Did you grow up in the suburbs? And a lot of my really top-notch students who take off and, and are doing great things didn't come from dairy farms. Um, and I've got also a lot of great students who did come from dairy farms. So I don't know if there's a super strong correlation between good students and, and good uh, future professionals, uh, whether or not they grew up on a farm. Right. Yeah. No, I, I agree. Um, um, sometimes I think that people who didn't grow up and don't have those uh, those things that are in our minds that were we learned as kids, um, and they see a broader picture. And especially as we move towards technology and uh, or better, more uh, com- complex technologies um, and and ideas about uh, looking at uh, silage for or any other product on the farm f- for what it is um, and and what it could be. And, uh, and I think that, that that's true is that it, your background, sometimes it's a hindrance and sometimes it's a help. So there's room for everybody. Yeah, exactly. I think having a combination of people with different backgrounds is incredibly important when you're working together as a team. Right, right. And, and that goes along with different cultures as well. Um, we, it's, it's not just a California thing anymore to have people of different cultures working on your dairy farm and, and what richness and, uh, that brings to, to the, the whole culture of dairy is, is very important. Well, to, before we wrap up kind of along the same lines, uh, I know you're very involved with the dairy girl network and you mentioned that a little bit, uh, about, um, your involvement there. Do you want to talk about what the Dairy Girl Network is and what your involvement has been there with that organization? Sure. Um, Dairy Girl Network, as much as I said that, um, you know, women and men, we all work together and that kind of thing. There is a difference for women. And and the student that you mentioned with uh, asking about women in industry, um, women's brains work differently than men's uh, in general uh, in certain things. And, and that's, and that's okay. It's what it is. <laughs> and aren't we lucky that we don't have, that we aren't all thinking the same. And so uh, Dairy Girl Network was formed by uh, Laura Daniels many years ago, Laura and, and some other people, to address um, and, and give a, a place where, or, or events, um, uh, networking, all that kind of thing for women to kind of to get to know each other, kind of compare notes, see how, you know, when you ran into this problem or this situation, how did you handle that? And uh, and that's kind of the basis of, of Dairy Girl Network. Um, it's grown to be an organization that is all across the country. We have uh, these connect events. Um, they just had one at the Central Plains um, Conference. We had uh, one at World Ag Expo, one at California Holstein meeting, um, and it's to bring women together so that they can meet each other and get to know each other and maybe learn something from somebody else uh, about how about how they handle things personally or um, about different parts of the industry that they maybe didn't know about before. Um, and, and so it's a it's a way for people to network and get together. We also have programs. Uh, there's a webinar series that comes out. There's a new webinar every month, sometimes twice a month, and um, and we talk about relevant ideas and relevant um, things that are happening um, that we can look forward to and learn about. Um, and so that's a that's a great series. We also have a uh, a program called sharing wisdom. And that's a kind of every once in a while thing where we choose a topic 
And then we have several different speakers and these are all virtual meetings. Sometimes they're live, but most of the time they're virtual. And uh, for instance, I was involved in organizing one about um, about other forms of income on the farm. So there are people who, you know, we know farms that have beautiful places that have wedding events or uh, just event events. And there are people who uh, publish books or paint. Um, Bonnie Moore, she was one of our speakers. Um, then we have people who are raising uh, dairy beef is a big deal right now. We have people who are raising dairy beef and selling it off their farm or making cheese or something like that. So um, if you have an if you had an interest in that program, then you would sign up and say, hey, I'm this is what I'm interested in. And we had breakout rooms that you could go to for that. So we've we've had similar programs with different topics like that so that it really drills down to what uh women are interested in and then uh and then we come back together as a group and, and kind of have a an ending thing this month of may coming up dairy girl network focuses on mental health and i know that they're planning two webinars for that um and we we try to talk about uh some of it, it could be the soft things that we talk about on the on the dairy um but like I had said about staying hydrated and sleeping and all that during harvest, those soft things are important too, so that we all have a balance to our life. And so that's our focus. Um, we do have a Facebook page called Exchange by Dairy Girl Network, and you just go and sign up. Membership in Dairy Girl Network is free. Um, so we also have a website, dairygirlnetwork.com. Either is it .com? Yes, it's, you know, sometimes they're .org or .com. It is .com. And uh, on that uh, website, one of the most important things is the resources page for different links of, of places, uh, uh, organizations, associations that can help with all kinds of different things, whether it's financial or mental health or just all kinds of different things. So, so that's what Dairy Girl Network is. Um, we we are growing here in the West. It it has it was formed in the Midwest, Wisconsin specifically, and we do have a good membership in the East. And like I said, we're trying to grow it here in the West. Um, and and we recognize that um, dairy women have different roles in different places, and um, some may be right on the farm. Uh, they might be in charge of the farm. The farm may be theirs, or they may be in charge of calves or nutrition or HR or paying bills in the office or whatever it is. But everybody's got a job that they do, or maybe they do all those jobs. God help them. But um, <laughs> anyway, Dairy Girl Network is a, is, a, is a good organization for women to share information. All right. I appreciate that. It's time for our famous three. The Dairy Podcast Show is only possible with the support and trust of innovative companies like your partner for improving animal performance, Berg and Schmidt, Diamond V, because animal health deserves a healthier approach. AB Vista, feed intelligence and targeted ingredients to optimize rumen function. With early detection in health, reproduction, and feeding, SmaxTech future-proofs your dairy operation. When it comes to raising healthy animals, you need more than the right solutions. You need the right partner who brings decades of industry expertise and a global team to put that knowledge to work for the advancement of your operation. At Fibro Animal Health Corporation, we are proud to work with you as your trusted partner. As we wrap up today, we have three questions that we ask of all of our guests. Um, and so we'll just uh, go through those three real quick. Uh, the first one on our list of three questions is what is your favorite dairy related book or resource can be a podcast. It could be a webinar series. It can be a book, um, something that's a resource to you. Well, you know, the, my first thing that thought I brought into my mind was feeds and feeding, <laughs> which is the old, old feeds and feeding book. I have that on my bookshelf somewhere back there. Yeah. It's one of those things. And see, it's close to the top. And, and I go to that. A lot of times, I mean, it, it's a it's an older book, but it really that's the first thing that popped into my head. So, I mean, uh, my other uh, more current one, of course, is is that resource page on Dairy Girl Network of 
all the different websites to go to when, when I'm in need of something. All right. Very good. So the next question is, what is your favorite book or resource outside of agriculture? My favorite book um, is, uh, my favorite, not my fictional book is East of Eden by John Steinbeck. Yes. And I haven't read it for a few years. I borrowed my copy out. I let my copy out um, this year, but um, it's just, I enjoy John Steinbeck. Um, I enjoy the reality that he brings to life and, and reminds us that things weren't always so easy as sitting in front of a computer and, and advising people and doing the kinds of work that I do. I, I, uh, I really, I appreciate his writing and his style and he's it's, it's just my favorite author of all time. Um, if we want to talk about a book, that's fun. Um, so I, I, cause I'm a writer, I got the opportunity to write a book, uh, which is a biography and, and written as an autobiography. I was a ghostwriter for, uh, a lady named Shirley Spork and Shirley Shirley was one of the 13 founders of the Ladies Professional Golf Association, the LPGA. And I have a friend in Southern California who is a longtime family friend, um, first of Ron's and then, of course, of me, too. And she is a golf pro and was a student of Shirley's. And um, Shirley was an incredible storyteller, just incredible. She would have people at a she'd go to a conference and and after hours, they'd a few people would gather around. She'd start telling stories about Babe. Zaharias and uh, you know Patty Berg and all these old time women's golfers and she'd tell these hilarious stories and people would say Shirley you've got to write down these stories so so um, at, with at Nancy's direction um, we went to Palm Desert several times recorded Shirley and her stories and because I had never heard them before and I really I I I can hit the golf ball, but that's about all I know. And that's, I, I don't play golf that often, but um, because I was somebody who didn't kind of like with the women from coming from the city that are learning about dairy, I didn't know that much about golf. So, yeah. So um, I had a lot of questions that she uh, could answer. She was the first woman to ever play at St. Andrews in Scotland um, and was invited there and went on the Queen Mary over there to do this. Um, so we wrote a biography for her and it's in her own voice. And uh, it's called From Green to Tea. And it's you can get it on Amazon. Nancy and I didn't make any, nobody made any money off of this. Um, it, all the funds go to Shirley's Foundation for golf scholarships for young women. But it's from green to tea. And it, the green is she, you know, usually start at the tea, but she her first golf club was a putter and so that's used on the green obviously and that's the only she'd play the whole course with a putter and when she was a little kid but anyway that's but that's just a fun thing so that's awesome i'll have to check that out or put it on my goodreads all right our last out of the three questions is in your opinion what sets successful dairy professionals apart from those that are not I think that uh, the ability to listen and understand and empathize is the thing that sets people in general apart from others. Um, I've done a lot of talking today, which I don't usually do. I'm usually the listener, and then I, I try to find ways to help people. But I, I think that slowing down, listening to people, and trying to understand where they're coming from really makes a big, big uh, difference in how you relate to people, how they relate back to you, how how um, how willing they are to listen to your advice and to listen to to what you have to say, um, because if you if you don't understand where they're coming from, then then you really have no business uh, saying here's what I think you need to do. Well, who cares? It's it's what what somebody is is telling you and and sometimes you have to ask more and more questions and the more questions you ask the better you get to know them and and I'm not just talking about how's your dry matter this year I'm talking about you know what's going on with your with your family um, if I know them well enough of course uh, what's going on with your family are there any any 
issues or problems coming up that I need to know about that might make a difference um, in what I'm suggesting to you. And so I think that as professionals, we need to be professional. We need to know uh, what it is that is important to the people that we're serving. I like that. My grandma always says that listening is the most important life skill. So, and we did, we did bring you on to talk. We did not bring you on to listen. So I think you filled that role very well today. And we really appreciate having you on the podcast. Before I let you go, uh, is there anywhere that people can find more information about you or your company or what you're, what you're up to? So our website has been on the background there the whole time www.sealprosilage.com. And that is, uh, Seal Pro is our brand, uh, it's our family's brand. And so um, so that's where you can find out product information and, and that kind of thing. Um, you can learn about bananas and how they tell us about silage film. Um, you can learn about uh, our five-point quality control uh, program that we've set up that we're very excited about. And then if you're looking to find out information about how to make silage and, and how to be safe around it, you'll go, it'll, it, it, there's a link on sealprosilage.com, but it's conneragriscience.com. And, and we um, have some other products that we also represent there. Um, so that's kind of our umbrella. And then SealPro is our, is our brand. So there's a lot of silage information there, silage safety videos, um, videos of putting cover on all that kind of thing that can help you. So I'm also on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm not on Facebook anymore because it just took way too much of my time. Um, I do scroll through Instagram now and again, just to look at jokes and that kind of thing and things my kids send me, but um, LinkedIn is probably the best way to reach me. Or uh, my email is simply Connie, C-O-N-N-I-E at ConnorAgriscience.com. And it'll help you remember Connor is C-O-N for Connie and Ron spelled backwards. Just because it was the easiest thing to put on the county paperwork at the time we made the business. So Connor Agriscience. All right. Well, thank you so much, Connie, for all of that uh, today. It was always great to talk to you and appreciate having you on the show. 